a very important Shaila that comes up every so often. It's important that we understand the dynamics of this Shaila, but the question is as follows. There is a family that unfortunately is unable to have children based on all the advice of the medical research that they have done and all the different clinics they've been to, and now they are holding by a decision to do an adoption. Um, so they called me to ask, when they do an adoption, what exactly do you do when one considers an adoption? So number one, Rav Moshe Feinstein talks about one point about the adoption, which is important to be aware of. Um, beyond that, what I really want to discuss and the focus of today's shear is, once you adopt a child, if it comes from a non-Jewish family, how does one then bring that child into the Jewish community? How do you then go about a gerus of a young child who is obviously under the age of bar or bas mitzvah. So first of all, Rav Moshe has a tshuva in Igris Moshe, Yeredeh, Chelek Aleph, Simen Kuf Samach Beis, a general discussion about adoption. And there he writes, Bidvar Inyan Adopterin Kinder. He says about those who want to adopt a child for whatever reason, Ko'ofen Sha'osim B'Medina Zu, in the way that they do it in the United States, which is what he's referring to, Yesh Inyan Shalotov Bishal Yalde Yisrael, Vlotov Bishal Yalde Nachrim. He says there's a problem with having an adoption from a Jewish family, and there's a separate problem having an adoption from a non-Jewish family. So what can possibly be the problem? Says Ramosha. He says it's not an insurmountable problem, but it's a problem that you need to be aware of. First of all, he says, Bishal Yisrael, when it's a Jewish family who's putting up a child for adoption, you first need to look into the background. Is the child a mamzer? Why would a family be giving up a child? You have to ask yourself. Maybe it's because there's something illegitimate about this child. Not always, of course, says Ramosha, but you need to do the homework. You need to do the research and make sure that this child is not a mamzer. And he says that this is something that we have to look into very, very carefully. And besides for that, says Ramosha, if it's going to be from a Jewish family, maybe um, if you go by the American law, which is obviously we always follow the law, Dina de Malchus Adina, we don't only follow Jewish law, but we follow the law of the land as well. So the general American policy is, I think, that they don't disclose who the parents are of this child. So he says, how are you going to find out about a mamzerus, about a potential problem? It's right, it is, it, it is changed. But, but with regard to that, Ramosha says, so you have to do homework, not always so easy to find out. Let's say you do find out, he says, you may not share that with your child. You may not tell them exactly who the parents are. You have to ask a psychologist, is it good to tell the kid, not good to tell the kid? But you may not even tell the child who their original parents were. That being the case, it is potentially possible that down the line, this young man, when he becomes of age to get married, will end up marrying his own sister. You don't know. You don't know who his father is. You don't know who his mother is. Your child certainly doesn't know who the parents are. How do you know that down the line, he's not going to meet up with somebody who happens to be a relative that he's not allowed to be married to. So therefore, says Ramosha, you have some very serious concerns that you have if there's a child from a Jewish family that's put up for an adoption. Whereas on the other hand, if you have a child from a non-Jewish family, you get into the problem that we're going to discuss now. The child that is in question for the family that I'm talking about is a family that is certainly a non-Jewish family. How do they know that? Because they have done research in advance. They're not really doing an adoption. They're doing a, um, it was already pre-planned that this woman who is pregnant is going to give up the child right upon the birth. So it's already all been worked out in advance. So the question here is, how are you going to go about doing the gerus, doing a conversion process for a child who is certainly under the age of bar or bas mitzvah? So let us begin with the Gemara Meseches Krisos, where the Gemara outlines for us the entire process, the whole procedure of gerus in general, conversion, nothing to do with a child. 
You have an adult, male or female, you can accept converts. We have a concept of gerus. So you have an adult, male or female, who decides they want to come into the Jewish community. How do we go about doing that? Says the Gemara, three very important, very integral elements that are necessary for a man to become a ger, and two for a woman. What are the three for a man? Number one, says the Gemara, Mila. He has to have a bris mila. Obviously, for a woman, that is not relevant. Secondly, says the Gemara, we require a tvila. Tvila means they have to go into the mikvah. And number three, says the Gemara, hartsa'as damim. What does hartsa'as damim mean? That means, no, bris mila we spoke about already. Going into the mikvah we spoke about. So what is hartsa'as damim? The blood. What kind of blood are we talking about? The Gemara says that means they have to offer a carbon in order to solidify their conversion. Now, the problem is, ask the Gemara, Ela Meata, if you're going to tell me that you always need to have a carbon in order to accept a convert, well, we haven't had a Beis Amigdash in many, many years. We don't have the ability to offer a carbon in our generation today. Well, then how do we accept conversions? How do we do that, says the Gemara? And the Gemara answers that obviously there has to be some mechanism today because we see all over the world that there are conversions that are acceptable. So how can that be? Answers the Gemara because the Pasuk says, when the Torah introduces us to the whole concept of conversion, the Torah introduces us not only to the idea of Geras, but it also says that there's such a concept of which means in every generation you have the ability to do a conversion. In every generation means from the outset God knew that there was not always going to be the possibility of offering a carbon. It must be that you're able to bring a convert into the fold even at a time when there's no Beis Amikdash from the fact that the Torah explicitly states and from there, the Gemara learns it must be that a convert has the ability to come into the community even bizman hazet, even at a time like today where we don't have any opportunity to bring karbanos. Says the Rambam. The Gemara doesn't talk about Kabbalah's mitzvahs. Oh, oh, you're right. One second. This Gemara does not. Surprisingly, this Gemara Mesechus Krisis, which outlines the whole story of conversion, only says three things. Now, you're a million percent right, which is what we're about to get to. Says the Gemara, says the Rambam. What do we do? Today we're missing one of the main critical components, the Geras. What do we do? Says the Rambam, Says the Rambam, don't think you're getting away with it. The Ger has to make sure to keep it in mind that when the base Hamigdash is going to be rebuilt, he or she is going to have to offer a carbon because that is what the Gemara outlines as part of the process of conversion. So the Torah tells us you can accept a convert even at a time when there's no base Hamigdash, but they need to know that when the Beis Hamikdash will be rebuilt, they owe a carbon from the conversion that they did, and that is what the Shulchan Aruch says as well. The Gemara says in Masechus Yivamos, Mishpat echad yialachem lager hagar itchem. Mikan amar Rabbi Yehuda, ger shenesgayer bebezdin hareze ger. The Gemara then tells us in Yivamos, if you have a ger who accepts conversion in front of a panel of dayanim in front of a bezdin, that ger is considered a ger. But beinol beinatzmo. If he just decides on his own, he's going to go get a bris somewhere, he's going to go into the mikvah, he's going to observe everything, that is not sufficient. You need him to be accepted by a basin. Last night I was at a wedding, and there were uh, Rabbanim there from another city who came in for this wedding, especially to be Misamech, Nechassim Ekala. One of the Rabbanim came over to me, and he said that recently he was asked to join a panel for conversion. There's a basin in his community where they have conversions done all the time, and obviously one of the Dayanim feels that it's just become too cumbersome, and he wants to add in another option for somebody who can come and join the process. So this uh, young Rav is my age, and he's a very learned person, but he said to me, 
you know, I really don't know much about Geras. I don't know much about the laws of conversion. I never went through the halachos. I really don't know all the ins and outs and all the questions. Does it make sense that I should be on a panel of Dayanim to be the one to decide whether someone should be a Geras or not? It sounds very strange to me. That's what he said. So I told him that even though that's his sentiment, it's not clear that he's correct. Why is it not clear that he's correct? Because what is the role of the basin? Of course, you need some, you can't just have three Amaratsim being a basin. You need somebody who knows the halachas. You need somebody who knows how to do this process, how to go through the procedure. However, is it necessary that all three of the Dayanim know Hilchas Geras inside out? I don't think so. I think the point that we try to accomplish by having a Beisdin be the ones to accept a convert is that we need representatives of the Jewish people to stand and say, we accept you into the community. That doesn't mean you have to be the one who knows Hilchas Geras inside out. It means you have to be a representative of the community. I think so. I'm not sure, but I think that's the answer. So I said, if it were up to me, I would say, it's very nice for a potential convert to have somebody like you, who's kind, who's sensitive, who's thoughtful, who's understanding, who knows how to speak nicely, who knows how to represent themselves in a positive way. I would say you're a great candidate for a conversion based in. Over time, you'll learn the halachas, you'll know what you have to know, and there's someone on the based in who does know what they're doing. It's not like you're the one who they're relying upon. You're the one who's being asked to be a representative. I think you're a really nice person, that a ger should have an opportunity to meet. I think that's great. So anyway, he didn't feel comfortable, but I, I, I think that's an important point to make. So says the Gemara, if a person is Megayer Beinola Beinatzmo, if somebody decides on their own, I'll go to the mikvah, I'll get a brismila, I'll do everything I have to do, I'll go to the classes, and then I'm just going to become a ger. doesn't work that way. You need a based in to bring that person in. Now, you were very correct in your question, and that is, how does the Gemara leave out such an important component? The Gemara here says there's only three things you need to know about Geras. Mila, Tvila, and Hatzaz Damit. The problem is the Gemara mentions nothing about Kabbalah's all mitzvos. How can the Gemara not mention anything about being Mikabel all mitzvos? Mikabel all mitzvos means doesn't the Ger, doesn't the potential convert have to accept upon themselves that they are going to abide by all the laws of the Torah? How can this be left out of the discussion in Krisus? And the Gemara, if you look at Mesechas Yivamas, the Gemara introduces us to this idea, which obviously is a critical component of the Geras process. So much so that the Gemara not only in Yivamas discusses it, but the Gemara Meseches Bechoros Daflamid writes, Goy echad. Let's say you have somebody who's a potential convert. And in the discussion they say, I'm willing to take Shabbos upon myself, and I'm going to eat kosher, I'm going to keep Taras HaMeshbacha, I'm going to do this. But you know, this Muktzah business on Shabbos really bothers me. I can do everything else. I just, I can't wrap my head around muktza. Or, I'm fine with this, I'm fine with that, but, but one aspect of the halacha that I learned, bishul akum, I don't know. I, I just don't feel that I'm at a point where I can do that. Says the Gemara, if he says, I'm willing to accept everything, 612 mitzvahs with all the durabanans and everything else, chutz midaver echad, ein mekablanoso. Says the Gemara, we do not accept such a convert. We don't accept you. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yudalmer, afilu diktak echad midivrei sofrim. Even if you just leave out one Dindar Abanan, not even Shabbos, not even a Dindar Raisa, but a Dindar Abanan that seems to be minor, Bishalakum, Muktza, I'm not saying something's minor or major, but you take one thing that maybe people don't notice so much, don't think about. If you leave that out of the equation, says the Gemara, we do not accept you as a convert because what we expect of anyone who's becoming a Jew is that you take a complete, absolute, unconditional acceptance and compliance to everything that the Torah and the Chachamim expect of you. And if a ger is not prepared to do that, they will not be accepted into the community. My father likes to tell the story that there was a, um, my father, 
many years ago used to go on these NCSY Yarche Kalas that they have December 25th to January 1st. And they do it then because they're made really uh, primarily for public school students, Jewish public school students, who have off during that time of the year, and they bring them in from all over the country, and they have a spiritual Shabbos and a weekend, very nice. So my father used to be asked to speak there many times. So he said, year after year, there was a girl who came from a certain high school from the Midwest, and uh, her family was obviously unaffiliated, and she wasn't either, but she became very attracted to everything that was going on there. And she was very, very involved in NCSY. And at some point, she came over to my father after one of his shiurim, and he had made mention, really, just backhandedly, he said, you know, when we make a bracha, we say, Asher mitzvana, before, we make, before we do performing a mitzvah, so we make a bracha. And what we mean, Asher Kedushanim, means that God invested in our Kedushas Yisrael and the fact that we are Jews, we have a certain ability to then go ahead and do the mitzvah that he obligated us to do. So this girl comes over to him afterward, and she says, I didn't know that a bracha is something that only a Jew is allowed to make. I'm not Jewish. I'm very involved in NCSY. I'm observing everything. And I, um, you know, I, I'm very hurt that you're taking away the opportunity for me to make a bracha. So my father said, look, there's no iser bracha levatala for a nachri. Like, you know, you can do what you want, but it doesn't really make sense. Kedushan Mitzvah means you're part of the tribe. If you're not Jewish, you're not really part of the Jewish community yet. So what do you mean to say? She says, I want to convert tomorrow. So my father said, I, I appreciate your passion, and of course you're a very sincere person. However, he said, you're still in high school. Let's think this through. How are you going to convert while you're still in high school living in your parents' home? They don't keep a kosher home, of course, because they're not Jewish. And they're not really going to appreciate your keeping Shabbos in their house, so how is this going to work? So my father advised her, why don't you wait until after you graduate high school, and then we'll be happy to do a conversion if you're really still interested then. So fine. So she said, that's what I plan to do. She graduates high school, calls up my father and says, I graduated high school, you told me we should wait, and I'm still in the same convictions that I had. I would like to become a Gioras, and I've been following and studying, and my father knew that she really knew everything. She's been going to NCSY programs for years, and uh, nobody ever questioned the fact that she wasn't Jewish, but that's, that's what she was doing. They assumed she was. Anyway, so my father put together a Bezdin, and he told the other two Dayanim, I know this girl for a number of years, trust me, she knows everything. Generally, the protocol is before we do a geirus, we ask all kinds of questions just to make sure that the person really understands and knows what they're signing up to. So you ask a question about milchis and fleshigs. You ask a question about Shabbos, Mukta, uh, Eruv, you know, different things, not, not so in-depth, but different questions to make sure they understand what it is that they're getting involved with. So my father told the other two Dayanim, in this case, we don't have to ask her anything. He says, trust me, I know her. She knows everything there is to know. She's been studying for years. There's no reason to get her nervous and ask all these questions. Just let it be. One of the other Dayanim felt, no, this is the protocol. This is what we do. And it doesn't matter that you feel otherwise in this case, but this is what we do, and this is what we have to do in this case also. My father was pushing back, back and forth. Anyway, so they started asking her questions. And my father was upset. Why are they asking her questions? But that was the protocol. That's what they did. So they started asking her, and she's answering everything. And uh, she knew everything very, very well. At some point, we always ask a ger or gioris before they convert, before they go into the mikvah, do you have any questions before you convert? Is there anything that's on your mind, anything you'd like us to clarify? So they asked her. It's the same standard question. They said, do you have any questions that you'd like to ask before the gerus? She says, yes. She said, tell you the truth, we're in the middle of Svirus Elmer. It was in between Pesach and Shulis. Rabbi Shechter said a few years ago at the NCSY conference that a guy is not allowed to make a bracha. So I've been counting Svir without a bracha since Pesach. But today I'm going to go to the mikvah. 
So tonight I want to know, am I able to start counting with a bracha for the rest of Svi or not? <laughs> so my father turns to the other day on him, he said, now can you trust me? So he said, we're going to work on the Shaila. You go to the mikvah, we'll worry about it afterward. And that's, uh, that was the amazing story. But that's really what we do. We make sure that a person really understands what it is that they are signing up to when they take Geras upon themselves. So that all makes sense when you have somebody who's converting at a stage of adulthood when they understand what it is that they're signing up to. You have the ability to do a brismila, to do a tvila, and then, most importantly, to do a kabbalah sol mitzvah. You can accept upon yourself what it is that you're signing up to. But what happens when you have a katan or a katana? When you have a young child, for example, the case that I'm dealing with, when you have somebody who's adopting a child at a very young age, a non-Jewish child who they want to convert, and they want to raise that child as a Jewish child in their own home, how do you go about doing that if the child doesn't have the ability to be makabal ol mitzvos? You can do a brismila, and you can put them in the mikvah as long as you're safe when you do that. All of that works, but how are you going to then go ahead and do a kabbalah ol mitzvos? And if you don't do a kabbalah ol mitzvos, how can you then accept somebody as a convert if it's missing that critical component? That is the major, major question that is dealt with in the Gemara. And the assumption that the Gemara has is that a katan is always considered to be a lav bardas. Even if you have a very smart young child, they're smart, but they don't have an understanding. They don't have a depth of understanding. So a katan is always considered to be a lav bardas. There is a question. The Gemara says, The Gemara uses a lashon that a katan is a lav bar onshin. So what does that mean? Labar Onshin means you're not going to get punished. What's the implication of that? The Arsameach writes. Implication is you do know what's happening. You are obligated to observe all the mitzvahs and all make sure not to do any Averas, but we're just not going to punish you because we have a special dispensation for a child. That's a little bit of a problem. How do you deal with that Gemara? What does it mean when it says you're a Labar Onshin? It's much more than that. It's not just you're a Labar Onshin, you're a Labar Chayuva. You have no obligation at all to observe any of the mitzvahs at Torah. The assumption that the Gemara has in many other places is a katan is considered a lav bardas, and therefore we assume that the decisions that he makes and the different things that he does are things that are really not so relevant al pi halacha because he's not considered a bardas. If that's the case, then how do you deal with a ger katan? Says the Gemara Mesechus Ksubas Dafir Alef, Amar of Huna. Ger katan matvilin osal das basin. The basin has a right to decide with the parents, of course, you know, with the adoptive parents that they are going to adopt this child into the Jewish community and they're going to convert this child. Well, well what about mitzvahs? How can it be? Says the Gemara, we have a concept. Zachan adam Shalom Shalobafanov means the following. The concept is learned. The Gemara actually learns the concept from the following halach. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave out the land of Eretz Yisrael to all the Shvatim, so every family was entitled to a certain chelak, to a certain amount that was, that was appropriated toward their sheva. Now, did Moshe Rabbeinu go to every single family and say, okay, let's make a Kenyan, let's make an exchange. You're now going to own this property. It's going to be yours. Of course not. What did he do? Torah says what he did. He went to each of the Nesim, Nasi Echad, Nasi Echad, Mimate He went to one representative of each Shevet and he said, on behalf of your Shevet, you are now going to acquire X piece of land, this property, and then you'll divvy it up to whoever it belongs to. You'll figure out how to give it out, how to allocate properly. But, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't go to each individual person and start splitting it up. That's what the Gemara says. And from here we learn this concept of Zachin Adam Shalobafanov. Since we know that there's nobody in their right mind who would say, I don't want a piece of property in Eretz Yisrael. Everybody would want that. Are you here for Marav? Marav's going to be in the main shul. Oh. So, if, if you 
if you were not there, we can do it on your behalf. Why can we do it on your behalf? Because we know that it's a schus for you. We know it's something good. There's no downside. So even if you didn't make me as an official shaliach, even if you didn't appoint me to do anything on your behalf, you didn't set me up as a proxy, but the bottom line is, I'm doing something good for you. Everybody would agree it's something good. It's a schus gummer. And therefore, the Gemara says, whenever you have a real benefit to a person, we can apply this concept of Zachan Adam Shalobafanov. The Ramah gives a fascinating case. The Ramah and Ebenezer Ezra Simon Aleph writes, what happens in the following case? You have Nebuch, a terrible story. A husband and wife are married, and the woman is Hemira Dasa. The woman goes off the derech. They got married, they were both from, they were Shomitar Mitzvos. Whatever happens, whatever, life, life kicks in, she's off the derech now. She goes on her merry way without ever coming back to discuss again of a formal divorce. So what am I supposed to do, says the Gemara? What should I do? I'm the husband. Now, in extenuating circumstances, a husband can get married to somebody else. But does he have any obligation to go running after his wife and try to convince her about taking a get? What should he do? Says the Ramah, in such a case, he's able to write a get and be mezaka the get on her behalf to somebody else. So he can go to a third party and say, listen, my wife is no longer from. She's probably going to go ahead and get remarried and start a new life with somebody else. She's never going to come back here. I feel bad that every time, I feel bad that I don't have a wife anymore, but, but I also feel bad about the fact, a secondary concern is that whoever she's going to marry is going to be considered that she's an Ish who's violating a terrible Avera because officially she's still married to me. So here, I'm going to write a get and please have in mind to be Kona the get on her behalf, even though she didn't appoint you as a Shliach. She didn't ask you to do this. And usually... In order to accept something on someone's behalf, you have to be an appointed proxy. But in this unusual case, where it's obviously a schus for her, she's never coming back, and all she's going to do is go ahead and get remarried to someone else without ever getting a proper divorce from her first husband, that says there are is a schus for her. I think he quotes it from Trumas Adeshen, from other sources, and therefore there are says in such a case we would apply the principle of Zachan Adam Shalobafanov in a very unusual way. We would say that in that case, you can have a third party accept to get on someone's behalf, even though they never asked for it. Now, normally in a regular marriage, when the marriage dissolves, you can't say, oh, it's a schus for the wife to have a get. Well, how do you know? Maybe she's not prepared to get it. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe you have to wait. Maybe they have to work out a custody. Whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. But you can't just accept a get for a woman without her asking you to do so. But in this unusual case, says the Ramah, we would apply the principle of Zachan Adam Shalobafanam. Be it as it may, says the Gemara, when we have a ger katan, when we have a young child who's being adopted by Jewish parents, we have a right to apply the principle of zachin the adam shalobafanam. It's of course a major schus for a person to be Jewish and to be a shomer Torah mitzvah and to get schar for everything they do. And as a result of that, we have a right on your behalf to make a decision that we are going to accept this wonderful association to the Jewish people on your behalf, even though you have no knowledge of it. Fascinating. That's what the Gemara says. So, that being the case, Tosis asks, what do you mean? How do we have a right to do that? What's the mechanism? Tosis says, it's a very nice concept, but how does it work? First of all, Tosis says, a katan cannot make a shliach, so he can't appoint us. That's the general rule. Second of all, the Gemara says, a nachri can't make a shliach. So you have two strikes against you. How are we serving as a proxy in your stead? How can this work? What's the mechanism? Tosis says, you're right. It doesn't work. You're right, it doesn't work at all. It's Midrabanan. Tosis writes a surprising Chiddush. It's Midrabanan. The Chacham never write, Lakar Davar Bikumva Asay. And Tosis writes a tremendous Chiddush that the Chachamim thought we need to come up with a mechanism of how a Ger Katan is a possibility, 
How is it that somebody can adopt a child and do a conversion even when the child is two months old? How can we do that? Chazal came up with this thing. What does that mean? What's the implication if it's only the Rabbanan? So now your daughter is going to want to go out on a date with this boy. When the boy was two years old, was two months old, we converted him. As far as the Torah is concerned, he's not a Jew. The Chacham came along and said, yeah, yeah, we, like, you know, we worked out a system, we're going to work around He's He's Jewish Midr Do you want to marry someone who's Jewish Midr Or Jewish Midr I'm not taking chances. I don't, I don't want to get involved with someone who's, I mean, I, I can love him. I can love her. But that's not, that's not a Jew. I want to have Jewish children. I don't want to marry someone whose conversion is only Midr so how, how do you deal with that? So that's a big, big problem. That's a big, big problem. Many we shown him disagree. Tosis himself tries to reconsider a little. There's a big discussion how exactly the mechanism of all of this works, but it certainly is a concept that works. And that's what the Gemara says, because of Zechon Adam Shalom therefore we assume that that is okay. Now, this very unique situation of Ger Katan, there is one condition that is mentioned in the Gemara. And that is, Amar of Yosef Higdilu Yecholim Limchos. That means that when he becomes of age, he has the ability to reject and to renounce this Jewish status. He has a right to say, I'm not interested in this. Who came along and decided this was good for me? I disagree. I'm not happy with that decision. I think it's terrible. So I want to tell you a story that happened a couple of years ago here in the neighborhood. I was called one day by a Rebbe in in a certain yeshiva. He called me and he was so shaken up. And he says, you know, I don't know what to do. I said, what happened? He said, last night there was a boy in my class who was talking to his parents in the context of the conversation, they told him that he was adopted. He asked them, was I adopted from, you know, from a Jewish family? Non-Jew- they said, no, no, you were adopted from a non-Jewish family. He was 17 years old at the time in 12th grade. And they had never told him before. I think the psychologists today say that that's a very bad idea. You should be transparent with the kids and you should tell them. You should tell them where they come from and what it's all about. Okay, but they didn't. Here he is in 12th grade, finds out for the first time that he's, that he's a gear that he was converted when he was a young child. Okay, innocently he goes to Yeshiva the next day. That was the end of the conversation. Goes to Yeshiva the next day, tells his Rebbe, you know, when I was two months old, I was converted. And so interesting, my parents just told me last night. And the Rebbe says, well, you know, the Gemara says, he was joking around with him. He says, you know, the Gemara says, which means when you're of age, you have the ability to, to, to make up your mind whether you're happy with this decision or not. The kid says, for real? I'm not interested in being Jewish. I never asked for this. This is the first I'm hearing of it. I want all these restrictions. I want 630 mitzvahs. I want God to tell me where I'm allowed to travel, where I can't travel, what I can eat, what I can't eat, what I'm allowed to look at, what I can't. So I'm not interested. I don't want to sign up to this. So now you have a problem. You have a 17-year-old kid who's been raised by his parents, loving parents, and he loves them too. He has a bunch of siblings. What ended up happening was, it sometimes happens that a family will adopt a child, and after that, the woman suddenly becomes fertile. So this family had this adopted child, and then the woman subsequently had four children. So here you have four younger siblings who love this older brother. He's a great kid who's now deciding that he doesn't want to be Jewish. So what do you do? That's, that's a major problem. But it's not really a problem because he has a right to make a decision. So it's not his problem. My father told me recently that he, um, he had a boy who was in the JSS program in YU. And he was in a, in a very beginning stage of learning. And he had said that he went to Israel and his parents brought him up in Israel and they sent him on some kind of Kirov program, whatever it was. 
all on the assumption that he was Jewish, and then he went to YU on the assumption that he was Jewish, and he said it just came to his attention that his parents told him that he was adopted, and he was finishing up college. And he said, to be honest with you, I have no interest in this. This really is not something that speaks to me at all. I went through high school education, I went through YU, and this is not something that's for me. So my father said, listen, you know, I'm not going to tell you otherwise. You have a right to make a decision. And the boy said, it's in my best of interest to decide that I don't want to do this. But you have every right to say that. You have every right to make that decision. It's devastating. It's hard. And that's something that's very challenging when it comes up. How do we deal with that? You know, psychologically in a family, it's very, very difficult. But another very complicated piece of that is, if he renounces his Judaism, then the question is, does that go back retroactively? Chassam Sofer has an amazing shayla. Chassam Sofer asks, would you say that, you know, we make a bracha on when a ger goes to the mikvah or a ger um, gets a milah, we make a bracha. Says the Chassam Sofer, how can you make a bracha if it's all possible that 20 years, 15 years down the line, when he's informed about his original conversion, he can change his mind, and then it turns out you made a bracha levatela 15 years earlier. So is that even a bracha levatela, says the Chassam Sofer? Or would you say, at the time that we made the bracha, we thought we were doing the right thing, and if 15 years later it turns out that we didn't, so then so be it. But what are we going to do? Yeah? The base that makes the bracha. So that's the question. How can we do that? Obviously, even when it's a even when it's an adult who's converting, who's going to make the bracha is a big question because he can't make a bracha before he does the mitzvah because he's not Jewish. He has to make the bracha after he does the mitzvah. Anyway, big question: Who makes the bracha? But that's a big question that the Chassam Sofer raises. How do you deal with that? And more importantly, says the Chassam Sofer, what happens if, for example, he had touched any wine along the way? We know that we have a din that a nachri that handles wine the wine becomes tam yenam, and it's aser bahana, or it's aser bahachila, or whatever it is. Anything. So that's unusual that you're going to have him be an aide for Kedushin at, you know, 13 years old. It's probably very unusual. Yeah, but, but touching wine is a normal thing. You, you've been at a Shabbos table, you've been around the house, so you're handling wine all the time, and there are open wines all over the place. So the Chassam Sofer says, does this mean that retroactively any bottle of wine that was open that he happened to get his hands on is going to now be a problem? Chassam Sofer says, yes. Of course, because retroactively, his gayrus was never good in the first place. His gayrus never took off in the first place. And that is a major, major issue. There's a discussion that's very interesting. The Gemara says, Nachri shashavas chayv misa. The Gemara says, if a non-Jew observes Shabbos, so he's chayv misa. Shabbos is only for the Jewish people. Shabbos is not made for the Umas Olam. So what happens? You're going to tell me now. He observed Shabbos for 15 years of his life. So now he's chayv misa because at the time he was actually a non-Jew, but... He didn't realize. He thought he was Jewish. He was doing like the Jews do, but he didn't realize that he was doing the wrong thing. So all of these very interesting, fascinating, important questions that you have to think about. I I think it's important to make mention of the fact that the whole understanding that we have today of Zachan Adam Shalom B'fanav is only in a situation where we know that it's a real schus for this child. But a major controversial issue today is let's say you have a child who's being converted into a secular family. A family is not going to be Shomrei Torah Mitzvahs. Do we have a right to do a conversion for a Ger Katan in that situation? Because in that case, how can you say, Zachan Adam Shalom What kind of schus is it? I'm going to bring you into the Jewish community, and I'm going to put you in a situation where it's going to be virtually impossible for you to ever do a mitzvah. Because nobody in your family does. 
They're not Shomei Shabbos and they're not Shomei Kashras and they're not doing anything that an observant family is supposed to do. So how can you really look at that situation and say, It's a schus for that child. That's a very controversial point in today's generation and today's question of Geras. How do we deal with that? Either way, if we have such a concern that maybe 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line, the kid is then going to reverse and change his mind and renounce his status as being a Jew, why do we ever go through with such a process in the first place? Ask the Ritva, why would you do this? Says the Ritva, why wouldn't we be concerned that maybe down the line the kid is going to change his mind? And why are we getting him involved in this problem? Says the Ritva, come on. Kivan Shenaschanech Mikat Nuso. You raise the child in a Jewish family. You send him to a Jewish school. He's around with all Jewish friends. He's growing up in a Jewish community and the shul and everything's a part of his life. And then you say, how likely is it? It's very highly unlikely. It's very improbable that after all of that investment and after him being made comfortable in a family and a part of the family, he's going to turn around and say, I don't want this. And therefore, says the Ritva, even though it's something that could potentially happen, it's very unlikely that it's going to happen. And that is why we would go ahead and feel comfortable at the time to do a geris for a child, for a ger katan, even though he himself has no ability to make that decision. But we are deciding for him based on the concept of zachan adam shalom b'fanav. So that is a very fascinating, important shayla to talk about. It comes up very, very often, not only because of adoption, but also because of, let's say you have a surrogate mother, and the question then becomes, or a, um, you know, different fertility treatments that we have today where you have different eggs going to different people and different contributors to, to children's development today, the question then becomes, do we have to do a geris after that child is born? And if so, this question once again really comes up all the time where we have to think about, is it really a schus for this child to be a part of this family? Or would you say, you're not doing a schus for the child at all by making them part of the family, you're actually hurting them by doing it because... Now that you're Jewish, you're going to pay a price for not doing the mitzvahs correctly. So this is a very important issue, a very um, common and, uh, and critical issue to think about, but something that many, many have thought about before. And there's a mahalach. There's a mahalach to deal with it. There are many batidinim that deal with this, but it comes up more often than you would think. Okay.